This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik, a progress company. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Chris Michelle. Before we get started, let me introduce Season 2. This is a brand new season of Eat Sleep Code. We're going to be talking about software development, front-end development, user experience, accessibility, anything that dives into the software development realm, we'll try to cover. I want to thank all the listeners who tuned in for Season 1. We had some really good numbers for having a brand new show, and I really appreciate everybody getting in there and tweeting about the show. sharing it with their friends. We're going to be doing a new program with the show shortly where we're going to collect some user feedback. So stay tuned in future shows. Uh, We're going to be doing some questionnaires and things like that to get user feedback and understand what everybody likes about the show, doesn't like about the show, maybe things people would like to see in the future, and uh, see if we can build a bigger, better show for 2016. So without further ado, let me reintroduce Chris Michelle. Welcome, Chris. Hey Ed, how's it going? Hey everybody out there listening. Um, I'm Chris Michelle, currently a engineering manager at Treehouse, but on the way uh, transitioning back over to senior designer. Um, so yeah, as a senior designer, I'll be working on a project team where we um, just take feature requests from the different business teams at Treehouse and you know work through solutions with them in an iterative process. And uh, we work pretty similarly to most other companies that have like agile teams so yeah it should be a fun transition management's been fun but i'm looking forward to getting back and dirty in the design and code and for people that aren't familiar with treehouse chris what does treehouse do so treehouse is an online school that focuses on taking somebody that doesn't know anything about code super beginner um, to a place where they can you know choose a language or multiple languages and get familiar familiar enough with the language to where they feel like they can build something and possibly get a new job. So if you're not familiar with uh, Chris Michelle, uh, Chris was actually on season one of Eat Sleep Code, where we talked about uh, being a self-taught developer. And we talked quite a bit about Treehouse on there. So if you get a chance, you haven't heard the show, uh, go back through the archives of season one and grab the show and give it a listen. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about uh, rethinking CSS with SAS. So, uh, Chris, you want to kick it off with uh, letting people that aren't familiar with C- with SAS uh, kind of give them the gist of what it is? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so SAS is what we call a CSS preprocessor. Um, and basically what that is, is it's a way to write CSS in a lot more uh, programmable, a lot more friendly way, like other computer languages, like JavaScript and stuff. You get access to variables mix-ins, functions that you can reuse in really smart ways throughout your CSS. It saves you a bunch of time while you're writing CSS. And then in the end, the compiler, whichever one you end up choosing, um, compiles it into readable CSS for the browser. Um, And there's two different kinds of syntax you can use. I think the standard that most people use is SCSS. Uh, And it's really similar to CSS in the sense that It still has curly brackets and semicolons that separate uh, the different parts of the the CSS. And then the other syntax is sass.sass. And 
that's all white space based kind of like coffee script so you have to tab and indent underneath certain lines to get the the code organized how you want it it's some people say it's a little more readable um, but argument could go either way at treehouse we use .sass still uh, we're thinking about switching over to scss but our code base has been .sass for so long that we just kind of got used to that and we'll probably stick with it i think one of the reasons I chose the SCSS path, and that's what I, I always used, um, is because it's actually regular CSS is valid in SCSS. So you can take uh, code that actually is currently working as CSS code and just copy and paste it right into your SCSS file without making any changes and it'll work just fine. So it's good for uh, projects that are... Um, you know, legacy projects that you're updating with SAS because you can easily convert those files over. Um, and then it's also easier f uh, learning curve-wise for a lot of developers that are used to writing CSS code. Yeah, it is. The, the uh, I guess, knowledge gap is a lot smaller there. You just basically have to understand what nesting is, um, which I'll explain in a second. But um, on my personal projects that I do, which I haven't done a lot lately, but I typically... Uh, start with SCSS as well. I think I just got used to writing SCSS when I was working on uh, Foundation back in the day. And I don't know, my the personal side of me still likes it a little better than SAS because of a lot of the reasons you said. Um, but the other side of me, I guess the business side of me likes SAS because it does save just a smidge more time by not having to write curly brackets and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll explain nesting since we're on the subject of what SAS is. This is I think nesting is the thing that the feature in SAS that gets people the most excited at first. Whenever I've given beginner SAS workshops or talked about SAS or taught somebody new SAS, um, the first thing I show them is, is nesting and it pretty much blows their mind right away. So what it is, is in regular vanilla CSS, if you're trying to, I don't know, chain or nest some selectors together, you would typically have to rewrite the beginning stuff over and over again. So um, this might not be really good CSS, but just as an example, if you're trying to access an anchor that was in an unordered, unordered list, you might do the UL space LI space A um, or give it classes and do the same thing, but this is just for the example. So in, in your vanilla CSS, you'd have to write UL, put some styles, close it, then open it again with UL space LI open up some curly brackets, do the li styles, close it, and then again repeat ul li a to nest down to the anchor if that's what you're trying to do. In uh, SCSS and SAS syntax, you can do the same thing with a lot less writing. So you open up the unordered list selector and open a curly bracket or go to a new line and indent if you're on .sas syntax. You could put your, your list styles there and then on the same line that you're writing your list styles, you put a new line in, in the same indention or the same inside the curly brackets that you already started. You can put just li, open its curly brackets, put some styles, and do the same thing nesting as far as you want, really. And all you have to do is close the curly brackets inside of each nest. And when SCSS or SAS compiles, it'll actually write all of those repetitive lines that you would have normally had to write in vanilla CSS. So it's a really nice feature. Uh, it's also really easy to abuse. I think a lot of people that are new to SAS that <laughs> maybe haven't used vanilla CSS a lot even think that it's really good practice to nest in your CSS just because, I don't know, you could be lazy or you maybe you're just 
used to being really specific with like the structure of your HTML connecting to your CSS, but um, got to be careful there because once you go past maybe three levels of nesting, the file gets harder to read and you're also just going to lose um, your specificity gets real, yeah, real gets, um, deep where you can't override the styles and it, it can be a real nightmare once you get and, too far down. Yeah, and the browser actually has a harder time reading the CSS file at that point too, because if you're nesting, you know, five, six levels down, we read from left to right as humans, but browsers actually read selectors from right to left. So if you're trying to select an anchor that's inside of a LI that's inside of a UL, what the browser is actually having to do is find every anchor on the page, then find every anchor that's in an LI and then find every LI with an anchor in it that's in a UL. So it's doing a lot more compute comp, it's doing a lot more computing um, to get to the actual rendering the style on the page versus just giving a class to that anchor and having that be the selector you use only. Yeah, I think another good rule of thumb is when your code starts to look like a, a horizontal Christmas tree, uh, it's, <laughs> it's time to back off the nesting <laughs> and uh, go back to making naming simple. Um, another really important feature of, of SAS is something that seems so basic, but variables. Uh, variables, for some reason, were just completely missing from CSS. And it drives you to write some really repetitive CSS code. I mean, CSS code in general is more like uh, just a lot of setting property values on an object. So you're, you're repeating the same thing over and over again. What's the color of the object? What's the font size? What's, you know, the underline width? Things like that. And when you can have a variable that you can just name uh, for a color and put that throughout your project, it makes things a whole lot simpler, especially when you go through something like a rebranding or uh, you need to change a theme on your site. Uh, you can just go back to one variable make that change and the rest of the site gets the theme. Yeah, the, yeah, variables are the second feature that gets people really excited. Um, I think people don't realize, if people haven't used other programming languages before, they don't realize how exciting variables are until they start using it. And especially when they go back to their first refactor, like you said, um, it, yeah, you just, you don't have to command or control find a ton of different lines and try to hope you replace them correctly. <laughs> You can just replace it in one spot. Um, another cool thing with variables as well is if you use, um, you can create like color systems or you can do math with them. So if you're storing numbers as a variable or you're storing colors as a variable um, and you know that, I don't know, maybe you're styling a hover state and you know you want your hover state to be 10%, 15% darker background color, you can actually use that same variable inside of the darken or lighten functions that SAS gives you already. And then you still are only worrying about one variable at the top of the page and can basically restyle an entire entire theme if you've set it up correctly. Yeah, these are, you know, these few little improvements on CSS make it extremely powerful and much easier to work with. And the other big one is is a mix-in. Uh, yeah. You want to take the mix-in? Yeah, there's mix-ins and... And there's also functions. It can be confusing because when I talk about mixins, I relate them to JavaScript functions or methods. Um, so what a, what a function in SAS is, I'll say that first because it's simpler, is it basically it can compute something and output a value of some, for, some, some form. So 
a good example that you might see a lot in frameworks that use like M's or REMs is you can do you can convert pixels to M's with a function and you just input the M value in SAS because you wrote some math inside of a function that you named can turn that into the M value or pixel value for you, whichever way you set it up. So that, that one, it doesn't take arguments and stuff. For the most part, you can't put multiple options usually inside of a function. It's, and it always, or you can, but it always outputs some single value where a mix in, you can have any like number of programmable, programmable inputs. So, um, let's say, I don't know, buttons is a pretty common one that are hairy on websites because there's a lot of code and there's tends to be a lot of small variations to buttons. So you can create a mix in called button or whatever you want to call it that can accept different variables basically. So you can say background color, you could do like dollar sign BG, you could do dollar sign color, you could do dollar sign font size and any number of CSS properties can be passed into this mix-in um, and then inside the mix-in you're writing it kind of like regular CSS so you open up some curly brackets in .scss and you put the styles that you want this mix-in to collect. Um, so for buttons you might put background color and then instead of actually putting a color in inside the mix-in you're using the variable that you were set up when you declared the mix-in in the first place. So if you did $BG you'd put $BG in the background color. And then what that gives you is later in your SAS file, if you have a class of dot button or some other element that you want to give the button styles to, you can actually just call the mix in, which in dot SCSS is at include and in dot SAS, you can use that include as well, or you can just do a plus sign, which is another tiny time saver. But in SCSS, you dot at include button, and then you open up some parentheses and inside the parentheses, you pass all the different values that you want to customize. Um, so you're basically reusing the same style chunk over and over again, but each time you use the mix-in in different places, you have the opportunity to customize it by passing different uh, values to the variables that you've set up in the mix-in. Yeah, to, to sum it up real real quick and easy, a mix-in is um, kind of like a function that returns a set of CSS classes or styles, yep. rather. Yeah, properties and styles, yeah. Um, we also have some other other things. Um, I guess you could really consider these under under the category of best practices. And um, there's things like modules uh, and extend. Um, so modules in in SAS uh, allows you to, like you said, take things like mixins, um, like buttons and things, and put those in their own separate module uh, file, um, and then. Just by simply adding an underscore to the file name, uh, that piece of code isn't compiled, uh, or that file isn't compiled into CSS. You have to first import that into another style sheet uh, where it can be imported as you need it. So you can create these reusable libraries of code, uh, like uh, buttons and grid systems and uh, you know any any chunk of a website that's you know visually. Uh, controlled by CSS, you can create these reusable, reusable components that you can share on the web and um, create like an ecosystem with. Yeah, it makes each of the files smaller and more digestible as well. So if you might have, I don't know, multiple thousand lines of CSS in a normal vanilla CSS style sheet, you might have only, you know, 50 lines per SAS um, 
module, I guess, um, what I, I call them partials a lot, I guess, but they're, they are technically modules. And then uh, with the partials, you can include them or import them in some kind of manifest and have that be, that's kind of a lot of, you see that convention a lot in larger apps. So there's like an application dot SCSS that has a bunch of imports in it. And the imports are all the smaller chunks of CSS that turn into the thousands of lines of CSS in the end. And then uh, what, what does extend do? Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So extends a tricky, a tricky little beast. Um, <laughs> I still don't use it a ton and I know some people use it a lot, but I, for me, at least probably because I'm working on bigger code bases that have been around for a while and could probably use some refactoring like most big code bases, extend becomes like this scary thing with specificity in some, some cases. So what an extend is, is basically some shared styles that you want to put on a bunch of different classes, but instead of Let's see. So a lot of you can compare it to a mixin. So what a mixin will do is actually, you'll get say you have the same mixin on ten different classes throughout your style sheets. The mixin code, whatever you've stored inside of that function that you made, is going to output inside of each of those classes separately. So you might get a lot of repetitive styles in that case. What an extend can do for you is you create this placeholder class or a silent placeholder class with a with a uh, percentage sign. So you do percentage sign class name. And inside of that, you can store all of your shared styles, like maybe it's some padding, some margin, um, and a background color or something for maybe a common container that you use throughout your style sheets. But you know that container might have a bunch of different classes throughout your style sheets. And you don't necessarily want to repeat the properties throughout all the classes. What you want to do is end up with a comma delineated li list of selectors that then only apply the classes once. So that's what an extend will do is you take that placeholder class, you give it the class styles that you want. And then throughout all those different 10 classes, you do add extend percentage sign class name. And that'll actually take that class name and put it up where you have the extend in your style sheet in a comma list, and then give that comma list of selectors, the styles that you have in your placeholder class. So you have to be careful where you put, where you define your placeholder class, because if you, define your placeholder class above the classes that you want, then ultimately the classes, if you override anything lower down in the classes specifically, they're going to override the extend. But if the extend is below, then um, the extend will always override. So you have to kind of be careful with that. Now, we can't talk about SAS without mentioning less. So SAS isn't the only player in this game. Uh, there's actually quite a few, uh, but the two major contenders in this space are Less and Sass. Um, Less, if you're not familiar, uh, it's pretty much the same idea as Sass. If you are, you've probably used it in something like Bootstrap. So uh, Bootstrap was created using Less um, in up until version 4 of Bootstrap. So the next version of Bootstrap will be uh, based on SAS. Um, so I actually wrote an article about this and I, I titled it Why Bootstrap 4 Means SAS Has Won. And uh, basically the gist of it is uh, the community has swayed towards SAS and the folks that have created Bootstrap um, have started using SAS in their uh, professional careers and um, 
they've chosen to go ahead and just switch over the Bootstrap code base to SAS uh, from Bootstrap 4 and on. So in the article, I kind of summarized that, you know, the people that are using less now, uh, a good chunk of those are probably using Bootstrap. And after Bootstrap 4 comes out, if these people convert over to SAS, that's going to further sway the numbers of people using SAS uh, in their projects. So I'm not declaring less dead. I don't like to call technologies dead uh, because they, they tend to stick around with us whether they're popular or not for quite a long time, uh, depending on how the project was created and how, how much your company has invested in that project. So we'll still see less around for quite a while, but it looks like moving forward, SAS is gonna be pretty dominant force uh, from 2016 and on. What do you think, Chris? I would agree with that, but I've always been on Team SaaS for the most part. Um, I, I started learning SaaS, I don't know, like, gosh, it has to have been almost six years, five, six years ago now, something like that, and uh, maybe seven, but probably six. And it's, all, it's because of a friend named um, Jared who may be on the show at a later point, who knows? Um, <coughs> Excuse me. But yeah, he showed me SAS and it was the whole nesting thing like I talked about. That was the first thing he showed me and it blew my mind. And then he showed me variables. And I had been getting into JavaScript at the time in my career as well a little bit, mostly jQuery, because that was the easiest transition from being a designer to learning JavaScript. Um, and I saw the connections of what I was learning in JavaScript or jQuery with SAS. So they kind of started going started learning both of them at the same time for the most part and never went back from using SAS. And I got my, uh, my job at Zurb where I was working on foundation and, uh, you know, we, we decided to release this internal framework that we had been doing and call it foundation. And everybody knows the story has heard it before. Um, and it became this bootstrap foundation kind of war at that point. And foundation when it first came out was vanilla CSS as well as bootstrap. And then at some point we both decided preprocessors were awesome. And like your article mentioned, Bootstrap went the last route for a while. And I was, because I loved SAS and I wanted to be able to use SAS in my professional job, uh, I recommended SAS that we use that for foundation as well. And I mean, it, was, it wasn't just personal selfish reasons. I could see that <laughs> the difference between the less community and the SAS community, um, there were some differences there. The less community seemed a lot quieter and like a little more subdued and just okay with kind of how things were going and in, in, in less the time and the SaaS community was pretty vocal and had a lot of contributors and it seemed bigger and it just seemed friendlier and more open as far as open source communities are concerned and so that was part of it as well because we knew that foundation was going to be open source and um, we wanted to be part of a good open source community so back then I kind of always said you know SaaS is SAS is better, SAS is better because of the community and because of some of the features that they had built. The syntax seemed to be a little more concise, a little easier to understand. Um, but in the end, they all did the same thing back then. But yeah, I guess with Bootstrap 4 switching to SAS, I totally agree with how you said in your article. It's going gonna, it's gonna to just kind of blow less out of the water as far as users are concerned. But you know, we still have technologies that were around 20, 20 years ago that people still tinker with. So I don't think less is going to go away. I'm sure there's somebody that um, 
very reluctantly works on sites that still use inline styles and HTML tables for layouts and theming and stuff. So I'm sure Les will comfortably sit on servers yeah. for quite some time. Um, speaking of the, the SaaS community, um, th there is a real difference. And, and I've noticed that you know, you're, you're dead on with the community thing where like SAS even has their own conference. Yeah. Like, uh, yep. haven't you been to the SAS conference yourself? Yeah, I went to the, I went to the very first SAS conference. It was in New York. I don't know if they're all in New York still, but me and uh, my friend Jared that showed me SAS both went there and, uh, yeah, it was just, it was really cool to be in a room full of people that all were really passionate and kind of nerding out about this language and hear people talk about some of the fun things that they were doing with it, even if it wasn't professional work, just like, I don't know, I guess when I, when I went there, SAS maps were not released yet and it was this like new cool feature that was coming out. And I think they released it, SAS maps during the conference actually that year, which was SAS version three, I believe. And, uh, a lot of the guys at the conference just showed off these ridiculously non-pragmatic things that you could do with maps and variables, making animations and stuff that you'd write the code in a way that looked like the animation that would actually play. I don't know, just a lot of cool things. It's always fun to go to conferences because you leave with this high of how awesome the conference was and that you kind of get productive and do something after it because you're inspired. And that's actually when Jared and I decided to create our sash um kind of library which is a website you can go to to see all the different SaaS tools that are out there there's also compass tools on there but it's just a directory that links to their github um so you can go install them and the url for that is s-a-c-h-e.in sash.in so if you want to check it out um Jared and I don't have a ton of time to work on it a lot these days, but it still is a useful tool. Uh, the design is still the same as when we first released it, but we do, we have talked about adding a couple different features and I believe he's working on rebuilding it um, in Rails or something like that so we can get a couple different technologies that we didn't first have and we built it how we built it, which I can't even remember how we built it the first time now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if you want to contribute like a, like a set of tools or mix-ins to sash um how, how would you go about doing that so if you go to sash website um there's actually a way you can do it on the website uh there's a button you can click that's add extension or add your own two buttons do the same thing and basically it walks you through the steps so in your github repo you simply would just add a sash.json file and inside that file you can put a name, a description, and some tags. And once you have that file up in your repository, you can put the URL, um, your SSH URL, into this modal that pops up on the Sash website and add it. And once it's added, it shows up in the list. And I even believe that we have like some nightly jobs that run or maybe weekly or something like that that will remove old ones. So if you want to get yours off of the Sash site for some reason, you can just delete that Sash json file and it'll be deleted the next time that kind of cron job is ran yeah i noticed there's a lot of cool uh little grid systems and and uh like control suites like full of uh, button styles and things like that but there's also some big names in there like uh, bootstrap 4 has actually put up a sash file in in their repo 
Yep. Um, there's quite a bit of different things in here. Um, Bootstrap uh, Foundation had one for a while. I don't know if they do anymore. Um, but yeah, Bootstrap ad 4 added one. It's, it's cool to see the big names like that <clears throat> kind of adopting this little library that we created. And, um, you know, it doesn't have a ton of useful functions, but it's just a nice discovery tool for seeing all of the different contributors out there. And I guess one of the cool things about it and a lot of things that you see in the in Sash or not in Sash, in the SaaS community these days is uh, you see less and less people like importing libraries like Compass because you know they're monster monstrosities and they have a ton of code and it has Ruby dependencies and stuff like that. And a lot of people are using SaaS in different ways these days outside of uh, Ruby and Rails. You can use LibSaaS in basically any different you know environment because it's written in C and all these different languages. So... Um, and I guess for those of you that don't know what LibSass is, it's just, it's basically a spinoff of SAS that's feature that I think now they're feature at feature parity and they're going to try to stay at feature parity going forward. But instead yeah, to, of, to put that in context, ahead. let's start a little bit further back from the beginning. So, yeah. uh, SAS was originally a Ruby, um, module or gem. Yep. Sorry, a gem. It's correct terminology. Not a Ruby developer. <laughs> please don't. Shoot the messenger. <laughs> um, so it started off as a Ruby gem, uh, which meant it had a hard Ruby dependency on it. And then uh, the speed of it, as it grew with more features and such, it uh, the speed of uh, compiling these bigger uh, SAS files with more and more features in them started to bog it down a bit. Uh, so some folks took it and rewrote it in C++, and that's what's called LibSAS. Uh, another nice thing about LibSass is it opened up uh, the community to a larger range of tooling. So now that the Ruby dependency is gone um, and you can use LibSass, you can utilize SAS without requiring an installation of Ruby on your machine. Yep, that was so, a very yeah. good summary. Ruby's, Ruby's all gone, and um, once that happened, some of the tools like Compass... Uh, that were also based on Ruby gems uh, sort of started to lose their ground a little bit uh, unless you wanted to take on that Ruby installation on your machine. Another thing that, that kind mm -hmm. of did away with uh, some of the earlier uh, mix-in tools like uh, Compass is the fact that uh, there's, there's now a lot of more smaller modular uh, projects that you can add on that uh, you can kind of use the features ad hoc instead of downloading like another big framework into your system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, that's that's a good uh, kind of what I was going to segue to as well. So that's cool that you said that. With uh, That's why I think another one of the small things with Sash, because even though it's not a utility or like has features that you can use in your projects, it does let you discover a lot of these, you know, developers that are just a, a, a dude at home making this really useful SaaS tool or SaaS mix-in or whatever it ends up being that you can easily import um, in whatever project you're doing, especially if you're using LibSaaS. And uh, I think we have a tag on there. Some of them aren't LibSaaS compatible, but the ones that are LibSaaS compatible, I think we have a tag on there or we're adding that soon. Um, but yeah, so it lets you build build your own, I don't know, framework in a sense of different tools that you enjoy and you're not stuck into whatever tools Compass gives you or whatever tools Bootstrap or Foundation gives you. 
Yeah, Compass came with a, a lot of interesting tools, and it was extremely helpful uh, for the first few year, years that SAS was out. Uh, one of the things that it did a lot of uh, big work with was um, f fixing the browser-specific uh, prefixes. So you could just use a simple mix-in to render those in your SAS file in instead of you know, handwriting out the dash moz dash uh, you know, those prefixes that you use to make sure the features work across different browsers when they're implemented differently, uh, especially when there are new features that are coming in CSS3, for example. Um, so those things have kind of been replaced, or that, that type of thing with Compass has kind of been replaced by uh, stuff like post-CSS and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. Um, post-CSS is a popular one right now. I think that'll be the Possibly the next big thing is SAS versus post-CSS. Um, I actually haven't dug into to post-CSS too much. There's a, a couple things that, that I've been meaning to dig into, and that, that's one of them just to kind of to learn it and see what the differences are. And then there's even some vanilla CSS features that are coming through the pipeline, like at supports, which removes the need for having vendor, uh, vendor prefixes because it, I think that I haven't read much about it yet, but I'm, from what I understand, it can tell if the browser supports it, and if it supports it, then it renders those styles, and if not, it doesn't. Have you have you read much about it yet, Ed? No, I haven't had the chance to catch up on yeah. some of the new uh, CSS features. Yeah, I think CSS is definitely starting. At first, years ago, I think CSS was opposed, the CSS team or whoever's working on CSS was opposed a little bit to some of the SAS features, but it seems like over the years since SAS has become more popular that they're starting to think about how to integrate some of those things into vanilla CSS, including variables. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the two kind of converge over the next you know, five years or so and see what happens. Yeah, there's, there's definitely going to be some things taken from the SAS, uh, SAS compiler and SAS community and put into regular CSS, I believe. It's it's definitely blazed the trail. <laughs> it has, yeah, yeah. And there's there's a lot of new modular things to to bolt into your project now, especially with the proliferation of things like npm and grunt and gulp, where uh, you can just pull in packages and and kind of build these uh, specialized tools for uh, doing CSS in your projects. Yep, exactly. I think uh, even. <laughs> Even at Treehouse, like we we are, we're built on on Rails and Ruby, um, and we had Compass in over the last, I think over the last year, we've made a lot of efforts on the design team to pull out Compass. I think we're fully remo have removed Compass now and switched over to Bourbon for the most part because Bourbon, um, which is made by Thoughtbot, gives you basically all the same mix-ins that you really need these days um, without the extra overhead of the Ruby parts of Compass. We've actually started moving away from using rails asset pipeline even though we're using ruby and rails um to compile our assets just because in future versions of rails they're removing the asset com uh, asset pipeline uh or at least that's what i'm aware of from our developers at treehouse so we actually have switched to using bower to control a lot of our external dependencies yeah a lot of those tools grunt gulp bower npm are, are really changing the landscape uh, because they offer you a way to import these, you know, smaller pieces of code into your project without taking on a whole entire framework. 
one of those examples, again, if we use Compass, um, Compass would do uh, bundling and minification of your CSS code. And uh, that was, you know, through a setting in your, in your config file for Compass. Now you can just pull in, you know, a bundler and do that kind of work through uh, Grunt or Gulp or whatever your favorite task manager is. Yep. And all these things have kind of led way also to the, the next version of Visual Studio and uh, ASP.NET MVC 6, where you can, you can easily add uh, SAS to a project using uh, NPM and Gulp and uh, get the CS or the SAS compiler in there and, and write SAS code right in a Visual Studio uh, .NET MVC application and uh, get CSS compilation that way. So that that's come a long way from being <laughs> being a Ruby specific gem uh, all the way to the .NET world and being able to use it there. So Chris, do you do you have any resources for people that are looking to get into SAS or learn more about it? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, first off, I got to mention Treehouse. We do have a couple SAS courses, and uh, we actually had Hampton Catlin, the uh, creator, one of the creators of SAS, uh, do a couple of the SAS courses, and he's got quite the personality. So those videos of him teaching are really fun and really engaging. So that's that's a good way to kind of get going from the beginning. Uh, the SAS community, places like the SASWay.com, um, the SAS website's got some good resources on it, but other than that, I'd say conferences are a good way to go, conferences with workshops. Um, and coming up in April, where I would normally be speaking at Codepalooza, um, I think this year I decided to do a different conference, which is Squares Conf, um, and it happens around the same time that Codepalooza Code usually happens. Um, and I was asked if I wanted to give an hour and a half SAS workshop. So it'll actually be my first time teaching a workshop, and it's... Um, the theme of it is SAS from beginning to builder. So I plan to take everybody in the class or in the workshop um, over the hour and a half from installing SAS to introducing some of the features that we've talked about during this podcast all the way to uh, creating and designing some kind of simple components so they can actually use them. An hour and a half is not a lot of time. So we'll, uh, we'll see how much I can cram in, but I definitely want to get people excited about SAS and show them the possibilities. Yeah, definitely with uh, Bootstrap 4 coming out, you're, you're going to see a lot of more people wanting to learn about it. So that should be a pretty successful uh, workshop for you. Um, also, uh, I have some resources out as well. Um, I have some slides that I can share from uh, slideshare.com and um, my GitHub profile. So I'll make sure I put uh, those and your stuff as well, Chris, in the show notes and link people up with uh, Sash and links for Sass and learning about Sass and Treehouse. And I really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about Sass with me today and taking time out of your busy schedule over at Treehouse. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's always fun talking to you. And anytime I can nerd out about Sass is a good time. <laughs> so maybe next time we'll be able to nerd out over a beer if we're ever in the same uh, state again. <laughs> I uh, won't be too much longer. I'll be out in San Francisco for the Build Conference. I don't know if we'll find time to get together, but who knows? Yep, hopefully. We'll see how it goes. All right, thanks a lot, man. Cool, we'll have a good one, man.